but you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you'd hoped you'd never hear again. I am Thank you so much for listening. This is an open letter. And if you haven't already guessed by the intro, again, my name is Dave. And to my left is the lovely... Carol. Hi, Carol. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. To my right is my good friend, Chad. Hi. And across from me is my eldest, my son. It's Josh. It's me. All right, tonight we're doing something a little special. We're doing the very first, what we're going to call a nerd out podcast. We are going to be talking about the movies we've watched recently, the books we've been reading. So Josh, we do the session every time before we start the podcast, we do something called off the cuff. Okay. I'm going to ask you a few questions that you haven't had time to think about. So just kind of give us an idea. Sure. So what city you've been to that you thought this is the best downtown area I've been to? I liked uh, DC a lot. DC is pretty cool. DC is pretty cool. You were there when you were pretty small, though. Yeah, I went back when I was uh, a senior in high school, so it was like eight years ago now or something. Did a school trip out there, and that was a lot of fun. So, All right, question two. Are you a pancake or waffle guy? Oh, pancakes. Waffles are good. Pancakes are better. All right, I like that. Very quick answer. When's the last time you laughed really hard? Um, Probably my wife and I watched uh, the movie Airplane recently, and that's that's funny. That is pretty funny. I like it. Airplane is pretty good. Is there anything that freaks you out? Um, Any depictions of, like, if you're watching a TV show or a movie or something, and they show you, you, like, open heart surgery or any of that sort of thing, is immediately grosses me out. Can't handle it. All right. And the last one, one of your favorite comedic movies. Comedic movies. Let's say, in honor of the late Alan Rickman, uh, Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest by Grapthar's Hammer. What a savings. What a savings. So today, again, we are kind of going to go over some nerdy type things. It could go all the way to comic books and movies and TV and books and all those sorts of things. So let's go ahead. And Josh, what do you want to start with? Let's start with movies. Let's dig into that. We want to talk about movies. All right, let's sure. talk about movies. And this is uh, this is all skate. Everybody can play. Chad, are you a gamer? By no means. By no <laughs> means. What's the last video game you've played, Chad? Probably Lego Star Wars. It's a good game. With my five-year-old. <laughs> Nicely done. Do you play any um, competitive type games with your five-year-old? Nope. Would your five-year-old <laughs> beat you if you did play competitive games with a five-year-old? Probably. Most likely. <laughs> definitely. Would you let him win? I wouldn't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. It's actually an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we're going to dive into the nerd stuff in a second. But Josh... Everyone has their own parenting style with this when they play games. Did your father let you win games? Absolutely not. <laughs> I I was crushed repeatedly under the heel of your boot. Wow. Well, there's a there's a little bit more of a, uh, getting to know me a bit for the <laughs> listeners out there that you won't hear from anyone else. I think that's a little harsh. Don't you think that's a little what? harsh? I, I I would win occasionally in games of let's say chance, but if you know, this is as a small child, so. Uh, as I would get older, I'd win more things. But as a smaller child, you know, between ages like five and ten, it's like if it was anything like chess or stratego or anything like that, I I don't think I ever won against you at that point. <laughs> Carol, did you? Uh, and of course, we've already talked about the fact that you have four kids, yep. one of which is in the studio with us today. Andrew, say hi really loud. Hi. There you go. That's Andrew. Um, Carol. What was your strategy with raising your kids? Did you let them win games? Never. Harsh. So did you, Josh, do you feel like when you're, if you do have kids, what strategy are you going to take with your children? Um, That's a good question. Uh, I think that you start digging into, you don't want to like let them win too much, right? Because then they just, you don't want to like spoil them in that way, right? But maybe once in a while, maybe make them feel good. Or maybe release the iron grip a little bit. <laughs> I think you choose the kind of game that you play when they're little. I don't know that I would have chosen to play chess with my five-year-old. Well, we didn't play 
chess at five. <laughs> we were playing shoots and ladders and candy land and well, there you go. some it's video kind of games. Chance. Yeah. And so then they do win sometimes. You know, we poker. Started, we started Stratego pretty early. Well, but you could handle it. Uh, so you listeners, I will, this is my uh, time to brag on my boy. He's pretty smart. He's a pretty smart kid. Well, you are. You got a 32 on your ACT. That's, I still brag about that with people. Carol, I think that's what you got actually. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Chad and I were a little south of that, I think. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, uh, as and you're a dad, did you let your kids win? When you, you obviously just referenced your five-year-old, do you ever let, and you got an older child, did you let your kids win or do you let your kids win? Of course I let them win. Of course, that depends upon what I think is best for the situation. You know, if I need him to learn something, I won't let him win. But if it's going to help build his self-esteem, then I'm going to let him win. Okay. I got one little Candyland story here, which Josh probably knows I was going to tell. This is where it gets this is where it gets dirty. This is where it gets ugly. So I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. I am a very competitive person. Mm-hmm. When I was a little boy, if the Monopoly game wasn't going my way, then the Monopoly board would be cleared of all the pieces. Uh, and different games like that, you know, I would just I would wreck the game. I'm not proud to say that I think I did that in my 20s once, well, 30s when I was playing Josh, Lord of the Rings, Risk. I quit a game he was winning uh, because for some reason I needed to win. So anyway, Josh is about, how old are you, bud? Oh, this is probably like I'm like four here. Yeah, because you're not talking like normally. You're still kind of, you know, Three or not four. saying your L's right, things like that. So if you've played Candyland, and you, we've all played Candyland here, right? Yes. So we played Candyland. The way you play Candyland is you draw a card and it has a, a colored square on it, and then you move your character to that square, that color. Josh seemed to be so lucky at this game. You know, and it, it's not fun being beaten by a four-year-old when you're really trying. And so why am I trying at Candyland, and what does it even mean to try Candyland when you're just drawing squares of colors? So the object of the game is to get to Queen Frostine. I think that's... or that's. That's no, one of the last characters. Yeah, she's towards the end. Uh, I think it's the king, right? He's all the way at the end. Oh, well, yeah. Delve yes. into Candyland mechanics on the podcast here. That's right. The misogynist game that is Candyland. I guess when we decided to do a nerd cast about gaming, I didn't think this was... You didn't think it was going to go Candyland. <laughs> but if I'm going to guess, you probably got stuck in the molasses swamp and couldn't get out. Well, here's what happened is every time he was getting these amazing cards and he kept on getting close to the end. And so in the game, the construct of the game is when you draw a character card, you have to go visit that character. So at the beginning of the game, probably about 10, 12 squares in is Plumpy. And he does live in the bog, some caramel bog or something like that. What would happen is Josh would get way farther into the game. And so he he just kept on like crushing me. So finally, about three or four times, you know. And so I'm the guy who's like, if I lose, we're gonna play again, Daddy. I don't want to play anymore. It doesn't matter. We're playing again. He's like four, so he's not super attentive. The plumpy card would come out, and then I would say, oh, Josh, what's that over there? I'd distract him, and then I would take the plumpy card out, and I would wait until he'd get really far ahead. Then I would distract him again, and then when it was his turn, I'd put the plumpy card at the top. And then he would draw, Carol shaking her head in judgment of me right now. So he would draw the plumpy card. And so after a couple times of this, then to me it kind of got amusing. And I'd let him get just a little bit ahead, and then I'd slip the plumpy card in again. And he knew somewhere in his little brain something was wrong. Just smart enough. So he'd pull the card and he'd go, plumpy again? We never would have guessed that his father was cheating at Candyland to beat him. But I, I did win that game. So, Josh, I mean, how did this affect you growing up? Did, did you need counseling, therapy? Oh, I just, you know, crushed my crushed my ex- expectations. You know, I just feel like nothing can ever go my way. It's just, nah, nah. So you, you never really recovered from that fully? Nah, it's 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 hard. It's to this day, I'm, I'm still dealing with it. I yeah. think this is the reason he's so obsessed with video games. Yeah. He's still yeah. trying to make up for that. His still trying to win. to win. He's still trying to win. <laughs> but now he does win it's a lot. It's all your fault, David. Most things are. Shame, shame, shame. Shame, shame. Yeah, anyway. All right, let's get into this. Although as much fun as that was, I hope you enjoyed the little Candyland story. It's not a made-up story. It is true, much to my chagrin. All right, so Josh, you want to talk about movies. So you saw a movie, when was it? Um, this was on Sunday night, yeah. All right, so what would you see? Ex Machina. Because you're really not a guy who goes out to the movies as much as you stay in, are you? Yeah, we, we don't go out to the movies a lot. I think I went into the theater like three times last year, three mm. or four times. So yeah, usually wait till stuff comes out. 
on the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray with your new 55-inch flat panel TV. That's nice. It is nice. I've seen Ex Machina. Carol has seen Ex Machina. It wasn't a huge blockbuster release. It's it's not an indie though. I don't I don't think it'd be considered an indie film, would it? It's a it's a smaller production. Mm-hmm. It may have been from an indie studio. I'm not sure off the top of my head. It's definitely a small production. There's basically four characters in it. Talk to us a little bit about the plot. Um, so the concept is uh, a young coder at the uh, kind of a Google type company uh, gets chosen to go spend a week with the, uh, the owner of the company and he's been brought in because the it's like this big hush hush secret thing what he is being brought in for is the owner has built he's been working on artificial intelligence and so he's built an ai put it in kind of this robot body and he's bringing in this younger employee to basically perform a turing test on it if you're not familiar with what the turing test is it's basically the concept is if a machine can fool you into believing that it's not a machine and is actually a person, then that machine, that's the, that's the threshold for artificial intelligence. Right. And then also this guy, this, this creator of this company, the president, and the guy working on the artificial intelligence is very much a recluse. And he lives kind of out way out in the woods and he's very isolated in this very high tech house. The, the main guy, the guy who plays the company CEO, what I don't remember that actor's That's, name. It's uh, Oscar Isaac. You may have seen him more recently in uh, Star Wars. I'm he's sorry. A, Star Wars, what is that? Uh, it's a, a sci-fi movie series. You may have heard of it. Yeah, a little bit. All right, and then we also have uh, Dome Hall. Is that how you say it? Uh, Dome Hall, I believe. Dome Hall the... Gleason? Gleason? Yeah. All right, who also, oddly enough, was in Star Wars. In uh, The Force Awakens, and in a very good movie called Brooklyn, which is a, definitely an independent film that Carol and I saw a couple months ago. Not really a nerdy film, more like a chick flick. So but it was really good. It was really good. It's actually <laughs> nominated, the uh, the actress is nominated for Best Actress. And I don't remember how to say her name, but you do. Uh, Searsha? Searsha or something like that. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your enjoyment of the movie, what you thought about it, what you rate it. Um. Well... I went in with like pretty high expectations for this movie because I, I came out like a year ago and I never got around to seeing it in theaters uh, and just heard from everybody I knew that had gone and seen it. It's like, oh, this movie's absolutely phenomenal. It's incredible. Just incredibly well acted. And so I went in with pretty high expectations. Ended up kind of disappointed. It, it turned out to be like a little bit more of like a Hollywood-y kind of story than I was hoping for. Yeah, I agree. It it. It starts out very much, it's like, let's take this, like, philosophical look at, like, what makes, what distinguishes human from what's not human, and um, trying to dig into that concept, which I find really interesting. Uh, but it, as you get further, and I'm not going to dig into super plot details because it's a relatively recent movie, but if you, as you get further into the movie, it becomes less about that and more of kind of just a traditional Hollywood robot story, which I was kind of bummed about, but... What were you, you kind of alluded to it, but what were you hoping for in the movie? Um, I was hoping for more, uh, just, you know, they, what they start with, I think it starts really strong, is early on it starts with this series of interviews between Donald Gleason's character and the, uh, this AI that they, he's basically talking to her over about just random topics and digging into, you know, what kind of person are you, what do you want you know, what are you thinking about? Stuff like that. And that those scenes are really interesting. So I was hoping kind of for more of that. And it it didn't end up being about that ultimately. So No, and, and also a, a, different, a construct of the movie is is normally in a Turing test, you the, the human doesn't realize they're interfacing with a robot or an artificial intelligence. In this movie, part of the twist is is he's, he knows right up front that he's talking because this robot is feminine. But is obviously a robot. It's not, you know, it doesn't doesn't look like a human other than the face and the body structure, the biped, um, you know, frame of the body. But you can obviously tell it's a robot because it's just got the face and the kind of the see-through skull with the machinery and you can see all that. So were there any specific scenes in the movie that you thought really worked, that you enjoyed? Like, wow, that was a pretty good, pretty good scene? Uh, most of the scenes that, um, and I forget the actress's name, but who's playing the AI, whose name is Ava. 
Um, she does an inc- she's an incredible actress in this film. She does just a really good job of like acting right on the line between like a human and a, a robot. Basically, it's like her like expressions and uh, the way she speaks and everything are just just a little bit off enough to uh, kind of convey that she's actually a robot. So the, a lot of those earlier scenes that I was mentioning, where you're digging into those kind of like interview spaces. I really, I really enjoyed those just because the acting in them is so well done. Who played the uh, Who played the the robot again? I do not remember her name actually. All right, look that up, Andrew, if you could on IMDb. Find out who played the robot. We're going to use Andrew as kind of our research guy. Carol, talk to us a little bit about because uh, you and I saw it. It was this fall, I think. When did When did we see Ex Machina? Oh. Yeah, it was in the fall. So, what were your What were your thoughts on Ex Machina? I thought it was well acted. It's it's kind of a theme that's been explored on many occasions by sci-fi movies yeah. that I find intriguing. What makes a human human? What makes a machine human, if that's possible? Yeah. But I didn't feel like it was groundbreaking in, in the way it dealt with that. I thought it was interesting. And I, I agree. I think the, the actress that played the robot was really impressive. Her acting skills combined with the um, visual effects made you question at times, is this real? Is this a human or is this some kind of machinery? Yeah, she's she's <laughs> extremely compelling. Yeah, it was really She's fun. also in The the Danish Girl with mm-hmm. Eddie Redmayne. And uh, it's Alicia Vikander, I believe is her name. And she was phenomenal. My favorite scenes in this movie are when Dome Hall Gleason is interacting with her. And she is separated from him. He kind of goes into this into a room, but it's separated by this very industrial strength glass. And then they interact together. And I enjoyed, especially at the beginning, as he realizes, and you could see him getting drawn in a relationship with her. And we won't, you know, no spoilers here, but those are the most interesting scenes to me mm-hmm. as he starts to forget she's a robot, right. even though he could clearly see she is. Uh, and that's that. Those are the parts that I saw interesting. I was just wondering, Josh, you said you were a little disappointed with it. Do you have a a movie that examines that concept of what makes an artificial intelligence, like where it reaches that threshold? Do you have a movie that addresses that question that you like? Well, most recently, like my most recent kind of contrast with this one, the same topic isn't actually a movie. It's actually a video game. Uh, It's called Soma. Mm. Played it uh, a few months ago. Uh, Soma? Yes. Came out in fall. September or something. Um, the basic concept of this game is you are a, um, you start out, you're this man named Simon. Uh, you've been in this car crash and you've got uh, a brain injury that's terminal. Simon is able to communicate and talk and walk around like a normal person, but there's, it's like, I don't remember. They don't go into super detail about um, what the condition his condition actually is is just that he's dying and it's a matter of weeks before he's ultimately going to die and so he is contacted by this group that's like hey we're trying this new experimental technology it might be able to help you out probably won't be able to but um at the very least it's going to help us potentially help further people further along so he goes he gets his brain scanned and the second the brain scan finishes it he like wakes up in this dark room so you kind of get up and you start exploring around and you find out you're actually in this, you're now in this base um, that's like underwater base at the bottom of the ocean. There's no no people around and stuff. And so basically where this game goes is it you interact with a lot of different robots that are very clearly robots that are just like these not even remotely humanoid looking, just very machinery kind of creatures that uh, think that they're human. Right. And they're... You come across one very early on that has been very badly damaged, and he starts yelling at you in this like very Brooklyn accent, like, oh, "Can you give me some help? I'm 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 really hurting." And you're like, "What? What? No, you're a robot. What What are you doing?" He's like, "I need a doctor." And he's like, "Don't you mean like a mechanic or something?" He's like, "What are you talking about? I'm, I'm I need a doctor. I'm a person." And and so you you start interacting with the with more of them, and it's very unsettling because you're like, "No, you're." You're a robot. You're not a person. And so the game, the the game, as you get further in, delves more and more into like, what if your brain was transferred into the body of a robot? Would you still be you? Would you still mm-hmm. are you a separate from 
right. the entity that you previously were. Uh, it's just, it's it's a really intriguing concept that I think digs into that idea a bit more deeply and more interestingly than Ex Machina was able to. So that's where you're hoping Ex Machina was going to go a little bit. Kind of, yeah. Well, it kind of steps into the territory of what is life, like what what is what makes humans different. The the where I think that I've seen that that was done in a way that intrigued me over a long period of time was Data and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, that they they would dive into that every once in a while. There was one time he he was on trial for something or other, and he had to, you know, he didn't prove he was human, but prove that he was like a sentient being. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought Star Trek, even though it, in some ways it does definitely seem that. dated. Um, <laughs> Pardon the pun, but uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation—they did a really nice job, and it's still good. That's still good TV. That episode's called uh, "A Measure of a Man." If you want to yeah, go look that right. one up, it's like all right. And one of the classics for your nerd out uh, reference. That would be my son Josh with that detail. Speaking of dated, did you ever see the movie Short Circuit? Of course, I saw Short Circuit. <laughs> Johnny Five is alive. <laughs> did you see that, Josh? You saw that. I didn't have you? seen that. It. I saw it maybe eight years ago, something like that, eight or nine years ago. Yeah. Let's say it hasn't aged well. <laughs> I think the dude... It brings back happy memories of childhood for the, me. The dude that was in that, I think it's Fisher Stevens, and I think he was in... We just saw uh, Hail Caesar. I just saw Hail Caesar um, Friday night. Mr. Chad, have you uh, have you seen... You didn't see Ex Machina... Do you have any uh, any thought anything you want to add to the whole a movie or a TV show something where they they did the whole idea of what is human they presented the difference between robots artificial intelligence and humanity have you seen anything they thought they did that in an interesting way not anything that hasn't been discussed before all right well thank AI, you for that AI uh, robot robot oh, those Just are good the traditional mm-hmm. yeah Will Smith yep. uh, I saw those AI was a very weird film with uh, it was. Joel Haley Osmond. Haley Joel. Haley Joel. I always say that wrong. Like I used to say Gordon Joseph Levitt wrong. I say, is it Gordon Joseph or Joseph, Joseph Gordon? Gordon. <laughs> See, I, I get these things wrong. Ex Machina is rated R, just to let you know. And it did get a 92% in the website Rotten Tomatoes. So it was 92% critics and actually 86% audiences enjoyed that one. So if you want to see that one, just remember that is an R-rated movie. Probably don't want to be having the little kids thrown in there. Definitely not. No, definitely not. There's some stuff in there. All right. We went and saw, I saw the movie Hail Caesar uh, recently. I saw that Friday night with my youngest son, Aiden. It is the latest of the Coen Brothers movies. And I was hoping Carol was going to be able to join me, but it didn't work out. But it's okay because it wasn't very good. That movie is about the studio owner. Uh, he is actually the uh, the head of the studio, made-up studio, called Capital Productions, I think. And he is trying to decide whether to keep his job or go work for the company Lockheed that works, obviously, with, with airplanes and a lot of technology. And so there's about three major movies going on at the time, and there are various quirky, strange things going on with each movie. Like for their main movie, which is called Hail Caesar, it actually, uh, if you watch the clips, George Clooney's in it, and you would, you have you guys seen the clips for Hail Caesar? I've seen a preview. Yeah. Yeah, so you see the preview for that, and you think this is a George Clooney movie. Uh, George Clooney is just one of the subplots. He gets kidnapped by some communists, and it's, yeah, it's just odd. Channing Tatum is in it and has this dance scene in another movie as a sailor. Uh, that was actually somewhat entertaining and then there's another movie where there is a cowboy that has being trying to they're trying to take this cowboy character and move him into like the a more ritzy a musical this is like set in the 50s because musicals don't work now and so they're trying to make this cowboy type guy trying to fit him in with uh like this musical with and ralph fines is the director and he's very proper and in the in the preview he's trying to tell the cowboy guy how to say a line. What was the line again? Oh, that it were so simple. Oh, that it were so simple. And of course, this guy's got the, the twangy accent. Oh, that it were so simple. And that's, uh, that is a little bit of a funny scene while Ralph Fiennes is trying to get him to say it over and over again because the guy can't say it right. And do you ever see those movies? And I know you have in the previews, they have all the funny lines. 
Definitely. And they give it all away, and you're like, you go see the movie, like, oh, this looks pretty good. And you're like, every funny clip was in the preview. Do you remember what movies were like that? I'm trying to think of some. There's definitely, I've definitely, it's a common phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, a big movie coming out this Friday, actually coming out Thursday night for those people who are really interested, is the movie Deadpool. Yes. Uh, I am a self-admitted superhero-loving movie watcher. I love superhero movies. Deadpool, I don't know if I'm going to see it. You guys have seen previews for Deadpool? Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? My take on Deadpool, so I'm I'm familiar with Deadpool as a character from comics and, and other forms of media that he's appeared in. Uh, never been a huge fan. I understand why people like Deadpool as a character. It's just never, he's never been my thing necessarily. If you're not familiar with Deadpool, he's uh, the kind of the core concept of the character that makes him different from a lot of other superheroes is Deadpool knows he's a comic book character. He uh, breaks the fourth wall regularly and will talk directly to the audience. And, and it's a very comedy based character because he doesn't take anything seriously because he's no, he knows that he's not real and that he's not, he's a, that he's a comic book character. Right. And so it's a lot of it's a lot of breaking the fourth wall style humor, a lot of very uh, definitely very irreverent stuff can definitely delve into being very crass at times. Um, and it's just never really been my style. Um, so I, I might see this movie eventually um, for now. Probably not going to go see it in theaters. Yeah. And you're not a big theater guy. Carol, what were your thoughts on uh, the Deadpool movie? Because it's it's this movie is going to make a lot of money. A lot of people are going to go see this movie. It is, but I feel like a lot of the appeal is based on his crass sense of humor, and it doesn't appeal to me that much. If it were just a superhero movie, I might like it, but it seems like it, it's his humor appeals to teenage boys, <laughs> and I'm not a teenage boy. You're not. <laughs> I've noticed this about you. As have I. <laughs> uh, I will say this about Deadpool. I don't know if I want to see it. I will tell you that I am a huge Spider-Man fan. Uh, that's I've been a Spider-Man fan since I was a little boy collecting Spider-Man comic books. I collect Spider-Man graphic novels now. I just enjoy that character for many different reasons. I'm not a fan of bathroom humor, and I'm not a fan of sexualized right. humor. I'm also not a fan of extreme violence. Uh, I just... Mm. I just don't. It ruins movies for me. Um, we recently saw a Quentin Tarantino movie. It starts with Inglorious and being this a Christian station and podcast. I won't say the last word of the title, but if you're f- familiar with Quentin Tarantino, you know the movie. And it's about World War II. And just there's a very violent scene, a couple of very violent scenes, and that just wrecks it for me. And Deadpool, at least for this movie, and I haven't read the comics, but for this movie, he is very violent. Violence is supposed to be humorous. It's very sexual humor. If you're thinking about taking your kids to this movie, please don't. It's also rated R. It's very rated R. In fact, from what I understand, they are going to be pushing the envelope a little bit with this movie when it comes to the violence and the humor. But, I mean, R right now, they can they pretty much do what they want now anyway. All right, so let's talk about, would you agree, Josh, would you agree that kind of the peak of nerddom or geekiness is Star Wars coming out last year? Yeah, I mean, the, the Star Wars is coming back was a, it's a big deal, um, especially since, you know, the original trilogy was so big, and then the prequels were not good for the <laughs> how, most part. How bad do you think those original three were, the first three? Not the original three, but the w- episodes one, two, and three. How right. bad were those, do you think? Um, well, I recently rewatched all the way through those with, On purpose? Uh, with my wife. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> wow. I wanted to watch through because she had never seen the original uh, episodes four, five, and six all the way through. So we wanted to go see the new movie, and I'm like, well, you got to see the original movies or, you know, if this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. So... I was fine with just watching New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, and she was like, oh, we might as well watch all of them. So I'm like, okay. So we rewatched those first three, and man, they're bad. <laughs> oh, boy. They get better as they go along, but they start really rough. I don't like Hayden Christensen as an actor. Agreed. I think he won the whole movie. Agreed. I've seen Natalie Portman in stuff, 
And I've seen Natalie Portman be good in things. Absolutely. But the absolute worst parts of episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars are Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman trying to pretend that there's any ounce of chemistry or spark between them. <laughs> well, see, that that's that stuff's only in episodes two and three because Hayden Christensen's not in the first one. Um, and, and yet somehow that's the worst of the it three. It is still the worst one. Um, Jar Jar Binks, looking at you. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. George Lucas, what were you? And actually, they apparently had a whole lot more planned for Jar Jar, and they had to cut it all because uh, he did so poorly. People just universally, I, I don't know in the last 10 years if there is a more universally despised character than Jar Jar Banks in movies in the last 15 years or so. Certainly up there. Absolutely. So what would you think of the new one, The Force Awakens? I really enjoyed it. So when they first announced that they were doing more Star Wars, I'm like, ah, really? Uh, this... I don't know about this, guys. The last round of this did not go well. Um, and so I kind of was going in pretty skeptical. And then they released that first trailer, and I watched it. And then there's a specific moment in the trailer where the Millennium Falcon flies out, and there's the music, the John Williams score kicks in, the oh, traditional yeah. <laughs> uh, from the original movies. And I just like immediately, my brain's just like, oh, I'm so excited. You got me. You I'm got telling me. you, though, if when in the in the preview, when you see Han Solo, Her- the aging Harrison Ford, who had just recovered from a broken leg from earlier filming in Star Wars The Force Awakens, when he comes out with Chewbacca and says, we're home, if you didn't get a little excited <laughs> there, if you, you then you have no nerdiness, you have no geekiness in you at all, and I am sorry for that. I loved it. You loved it. I loved it when he showed up. It was just like, yes, some of the traditional characters <laughs> that made the originals great. Here they are. How old were you when the first Star Wars came out? Five. And I was, the first Star Wars came out, I think it was 78? Uh, 77. 77. So I'm I'm 10. And Carol, did you? I was nine. When did you see the first Star Wars? Because you. I think I was in my mid-20s. <laughs> <gasps> Well, that's as we talked about the way she grew up. She didn't have, she wasn't, you know, watching movies. She didn't have TV. So, I mean, I'm curious about this a little bit. So, Star Wars, the first movies, is this incredibly huge phenomenon. Uh, I remember everyone at school was talking about these movies. Yes, they were. And so, your school too. Uh And so, what are your thoughts of you're hearing about this, and what are you thinking as you're hearing about it? I'm clueless. No wonder make, I'm an outcast. Does it make any sense <laughs> to you at all, the things these kids are saying? Nope. Do you remember like what some of the kids were saying that you were confused about? Like, what? No. But I do remember, I think I was in high school when the public radio station did a an audio version of it. And I can remember listening to those episodes and loving Chewbacca. I thought he was hilarious. So one of the things my son does is he does some impressions. <laughs> and so he does do a little Chewbacca. Could you give us a Chewbacca? Uh, my Chewbacca's not good. Do it anyway. It's not, do it for uh, your dad. It's bad. That's it's not bad. Good. No, I don't. I'm going to try it. I gotta, like have a better drink. You do Ready? it. Also not good. No, it's terrible. <laughs> Carol, your turn. No. I'm going to edit all of this. So What? <laughs> no, no. This is, this is gold. You think? <laughs> no. So tell me, like, the first time you see Star Wars, the very first one, what did you think? I mean, what was what was your reaction the first time you saw the very first one? Oh, Luke, don't kiss her. <laughs> of course, you knew all the spoilers. I did. Okay. Yeah, so you're creeped <laughs> out by all that. That makes sense. That's fair. That's similar to my experience, too, because I didn't end up seeing Star Wars until I was probably like 11 or 12 for the first time. Mm. Um, and so at that point, Star Wars, uh, you know, even then, Star Wars is such uh, like this core thing that everybody knows about in American culture. I knew everything that happened in those movies before I saw them. Still love them. Still loved them. You know, still really enjoyed oh, yeah. them. But I knew everything about them going in. So. What about you, Chad? First time you saw Star Wars? Well, I was about five. So I thought, <laughs> I remember the thing that I was most impressed with is how that tall, gold English robot spoke to R2-D2. Everybody knew who R2-D2 was because right. he was the coolest one. But, he was cool. Still is. And I didn't know who the tall, gold one was except that he understood R2 and I didn't. So level of geekiness <laughs> of the three of you that I'm looking at here, can you name the actor that played C-3PO? Anthony Daniels. All right. 
Um, before you jump in, give other people a chance. I want them to answer, Smarty That's Pants. That's okay. We all, all right. know that Josh is the nerdiest. R2-D2, who is the actor who played R2-D2, who is in the actual robot shell? No? No? Emmanuel Lewis. <laughs> Kenny Baker. is Kenny Baker. And finally, why not just tell us about, this is a dual question, Darth Vader. Because there's two parts to who Darth Vader is. There's the guy in the costume, and you better be able to get the guy who did the voice. Oh, seriously? Carol. What? So sorry. Musafa. So, yes. Musafa. Mufasa. 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 Something like that. So, James Earl Jones is the voice, is do- voice of oh, Darth yeah. Vader. And who was the actor? I did know that. Uh, so David Prowse was the person actually inside the suit. There's a separate actor. Sebastian Shaw was the uh, the guy who had the helmet off at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Was the Force Ghost. So there's actually three different actors. The who clean played. sweep. So why did Darth they Vader, do that? So. Well, because they wanted the voice of Darth Vader to be so iconic. They wanted it to be very intimidating and memorable. And you can't, can you do better voice-wise than James Earl oh, Jones? Oh, no, he's, he was perfect for it. But why didn't they just have him be the actor? Don't know. Yeah, he was, he's not the, physically the size that they were looking for for Darth Vader. They wanted Darth oh. Vader to be very tall, very imposing, and uh, uh, very large. And so James Earl Jones is not the, did not have the look inside the suit that the way they wanted. Okay. And so they had uh, David Prowse, who's a Welsh bodybuilder, do hmm. the uh, be in the suit. They didn't have him uh, do the voice because they're having James Earl Jones do it. And they didn't want Darth Vader to sound Welsh. So <laughs> it'd be kind of odd. Now, see, now I know that, Carol, you're saying that Josh is the nerdiest of all. He's the Lord of the Nerds in this. But if you know the true Star Wars geeks, we, we're amateurs to these guys. We're Definitely. bringing out stuff that they're like, oh, come on. Seriously, everyone knows that. So last question about Star Wars, uh, the original one. What percentage of people do you think have in America that are of a viewing age, let's say 10 years old and above, what percentage of Americans do you think have seen the very first Star Wars, A New Hope? Got to be upwards of 70%. It's really? insane. Yeah. I think it'll be wow. down. I think it'll probably be closer to 60 yeah, but still, well, I think it's well over fifty percent, which I think is amazing, because it's like almost everybody has seen Star Wars. It, it's just the saturation into pop culture was unprecedented. I'm just looking here at IMDb. They're saying the gross box office sales were seven hundred and ninety-seven million nine hundred thousand dollars. Just for the first one. Just for Episode Four. Okay. Yeah, New uh, Hope. It revolutionized science fiction in the movie, so it was amazing. So I would say that I also enjoyed the brand new Star Wars. I mm-hmm. didn't think it was too much of a retread of Episode Four. It was like everything was just a little bit bigger and better. But I think that the director, J.J. Abrams, kind of obviously did that intentionally because he's trying to introduce this to a new generation and yet still trying to draw in the old generation. And I think he did a pretty good job of marrying the two together, bringing back some of the old iconic characters, introducing some new ones that we're going to be excited to watch in in, in you know years to come because they're going to be introduced. Like uh, putting out a new Star Wars movie, like about one a year. Yeah, the plan right now is one a year. They pushed Episode Eight back. Actually, I saw um, that. it was originally going to be out uh, March of 2017, I think, and they pushed it back to like December, like uh, Force Awakens was. All right. So um, the original Star Wars, or this is uh, Star Wars. Was this Andrew? Is this the Force Awakens, the original Star Wars? So The Force Awakens, 92% positive Rotten Tomatoes score, 98% for audiences. So people are just loving it. Uh, it's very, very good stuff. How many uh, stars would you give the net, the latest Star Wars? Oh, I'd give it like four and a half out of five, probably. Four and a half out of five? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, Chad? I'd agree. All right, I like 10. I like the scale of 10 and I like five. So I then would why say... do you ask us five? Did I say he you just did. said five? I said out of five. Oh, you I did. didn't. I just said give so it. Sorry. Your, I just how many stars would you give it? I would give it a seven and a half out of ten. It's it's pretty quality. Okay, I enjoyed it. All right, let's talk about books. I like books. I love I like books. books too. All right, so um, we're gonna talk a little bit about what we're reading now, and we spent a lot of time on movies, so we are gonna have to abbreviate the book section a little bit. But again, we're gonna do nerd casts or nerd outs in the future. We like to give Chad a lot to do when he's editing. <laughs> yeah, at this point, Chad has about three episodes to uh, to edit. So I just finished one tonight. I know. Awesome. He finished part two of your story. Yay. Yay. We're so excited. I'm just going to a little plug for the show. Uh, Josh looked at it, um, how many listens we've had. 
And uh, how many did you say you thought we had? I don't remember exactly how many, but before we're looking at uh, of the two episodes that are currently out, you're like over 300 listens total. Nice across both of those. So pretty exciting. That's fun. Carol, let's start with you. Let's yes. start with I know what you're reading because um, <laughs> that's one of the fun things, and one of the fun things uh, is is just about being a dad is when you have a movie or a book you really enjoy, is to be able to introduce that to your children. That's fun to be able You're to go. You're not my dad. Talking about my son. <laughs> Star Wars. Introducing we Star Wars. we talking about me. We are now. I just wanted to make that little segue. <laughs> Thank you for making sure the listeners weren't confused. So listeners, one of the things you'll know about me is I jump around a lot, and that's just how my brain works, and Carol kind of brings back uh, some form of sense at times. What are you reading right now? I am reading book number eight in a 10 book series by Stephen Donaldson. And I'm trying to remember the name of the book. <laughs> Isn't that one a Fatal Revenant? No. Or are you one past that? One no. past that. She's past the Runes of the Earth. Runes of the Earth is the first of the last four. Yeah, so, so I'm on the second of the last Fatal four. Fatal Revenant is the next oh, one. Okay. You are reading Fatal Revenant. I'm reading Fatal Revenant. So talk us a little bit about, this is the Thomas Covenant series. Yes. Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever. The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever. Thank you for mm-hmm. the clarification, King of the Nerds. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about that series and what you've, because obviously you've got to enjoy a series fairly well to be seven and a half books in. Yeah, I do. It's really unusual. The How do I describe this? The main character is a leper in his world. He's a leopard? Not a leopard, a leper. So he has this disease and he he's injured and wakes up in this other land where his leprosy does not affect him. Well, he's healed. He's Well, he's healed, but he's still missing fingers. Yes. Which apparently makes him fulfill a prophecy in this other land. Right. And um, so he's highly revered by some of these people. And he doesn't always do well with this position of authority and respect. What would you say the overall theme, uh, and Josh, you can, you know, we've, we've read these and I just reread them because they put the last book out just a couple of years ago and uh, within the last five years or so. And um, what would you say like the main theme of these books are? I would say it's, it's a fascinating study of power and the struggle between determinism or predestination and free will. There are a lot of very deep themes addressed in the the lives of the characters. A lot of deep philosophical stuff yeah. that Donaldson gets into uh, in that series. Not a happy series. No, not especially. There, I can remember there were a couple books where I was like, isn't anything ever going to go right for this guy? Well, it's very interesting as he has become this. He is, the, he is a true. Donaldson started writing the series in the 70s. And so a lot of the themes that, like the anti-hero, the dark hero, which we're very, very familiar with now, we sometimes feel like we're saturated in it, that wasn't around as much in the late 70s. And so this whole idea of this dark hero, the anti-hero Thomas Covenant, uh, and him trying to be, uh, being forced into a position he doesn't want, and he doesn't even believe the land he's in is real. He thinks he's nuts. Or that he's dreaming. Or that he's dreaming. But he is not dreaming. I will go ahead and spoil that. Uh, But Stephen R. Donaldson, if you're going to read these books, you're going to want to take a notepad because you're probably going to run into words you don't know. And that's one of my favorite things about it. (laughs) It's expanding my vocabulary. Which is hard to do because you are very good. You're a linguist, (laughs) right? You know a lot of words. And Donaldson will draw on things that you're just like, "I, I have not heard this before. Absolutely. Um, so that's, Carol, that's what you're reading. Um, Josh, what are you reading? Uh, well, I just wrapped up a book a couple of days ago. Um, it's called The Bands of Mourning. Mourning is in the sorrowful state, not uh, the time of day. Um, right, right. So for some people, the bands of mourning and mourning would be the same thing because mourning is their time of mourning. So anyway, go ahead. Where we were running into with that series at this point, it's... We're about, uh, let's see, I think this is the seventh book in that series, or sixth. That book series, it's called Mistborn, um, first of all. Author is? Uh, Brandon Sanderson is the author. 
the core concept of this series is it's a fantasy not a fantasy series. Um, it's set in this other world that um, there's this type of magic called allomancy, and people who have this ability can ingest certain types of metals, small. like small, very small yeah. amounts, um, like little flakes, um, and then can use that metal inside them to fuel magical abilities. And this isn't the magic like casting spells or anything like that. It just gives them almost almost like superhero type abilities. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, for instance, there's one, uh, it's like iron and steel. If you can use iron, you can pull on other objects of metal, on like telekinesis and pull it towards you. Or if you have steel, if you can tap into steel, you can ultimately what you are digging into here is that the ingest small amounts of metals and can they call it burning them uh, is using it uh, they you burn it inside you and can use that to fuel like magical abilities almost like superpower kind of things there's certain kinds that are like if you can burn iron or steel you can push or pull on um, other sources of metal in the world and people who can do that can essentially like be able to are able to fly because they can push on objects that are below them and fling themselves into the air and stuff like that so it's it's pretty neat. He's written a bunch of these books at this point. The first three are kind of set in like their their own contained story. They're set in like kind of a medieval-ish kind of time yep. in this world. Uh, the next set that he's in the middle of now are set kind of like 1800s, like almost like uh, Industrial Revolution in England kind of stuff. Cowboys. Yeah, there's like Wild West kind of style stuff on the frontiers, Definitely. but also like electricity is now a thing and Guns. stuff like that. Guns are a thing. And so... The uh, the most recent book that I just finished is the general theme of it. Previous uh, ones in this series are kind of more like the last couple have been like crime um, things. The main character is, is kind of like a detective lawman sort of character. And so he's like hunting down this gang in the first one, hunting down sort of like a serial killer sort of character in the second one. This one's more of like a almost like an Indiana Jones style adventure of we're going to we're trying to find these objects that are like these mythical devices that are important we're not sure if they really exist or not but we're going to try to like hunt them down and find them before the bad guys do very much in the style of an indiana jones movie sort of thing so i just got through it really really enjoyed it there's really good action scenes in it um and the characters are really well written it's pretty funny so i i enjoyed this one quite a bit i've read these books too other than the very last one that just came out at the end of january i'm a big brandon sanderson fan hoping I can get Carol to read those uh, when she finally finishes Donaldson. Sanderson's very inventive and in what he's, his characters are able to do. It's not some of its typical fantasy, especially the earlier series, because it's set kind of like in the, you know, the, the medieval times and there's swords and things like that. But there's not sorcerers or sorcery or anything like that. There's just this ability, this very unique, very odd thing that they can ingest these uh, these metals and then they only last as long as they'll burn they'll burn them and then the ability's gone once the metal's been consumed which is also kind of an interesting thing and so there's 16 different metals yeah at the uh, at this point in the series they've found out about 16 different ones that can that can be used some not all of which are used all the time because that gets kind of complicated. It, it does. It's not. It's not tough reading. Donaldson's much tougher reading than Sanderson is. Sanderson's pretty light read, but uh, the the people that can actually use all the abilities and all the medals are called Mistborn. But most of the characters in the book can only use one of the medals, and they can either do a push on it or a pull on it. And they, so it's a very. He's very very good with action scenes and fight scenes, and he's very good with his characters. But, like, for overall writing, I'd have to give uh, that Donaldson's a better actual writer than Sanderson is. His books are a lot deeper. They make you think a lot more. Sanderson's are more, like, fun adventures. Yeah, definitely. Sanderson's not that dark. He can go, he gets a little dark at times, but Donaldson's definitely a much, a much heavier, <laughs> much darker uh, read than that. I was just wondering, I had overheard you talking about somebody who told you that they didn't read fiction they only like to read things that taught them stuff. This is true. And we were talking about how how much we learn from fiction. I Would got, you address that? Yeah, I actually got some clarification. I had lunch with my friend yesterday, and he explained why that is. And actually, he's going to be a guest on an upcoming podcast, and we may address that. Okay. He's not the only person I've ever talked to that said, hey, I don't read 
fiction. I want to learn when I read, so I only read nonfiction. I know other people who have said that, especially Christians who think that you know, reading secular fiction is a waste of time. I, I really couldn't disagree more. Why? Uh, I have learned so much from just reading. I, I love fiction. I'm a huge fiction fan. I'm a huge fantasy novel fan, but I also I read other things other than fantasy. But I learned just about, as corny as it sounds, the human condition. And I learn a lot of truths from stories. And I remember those truths a lot more because stories stick with us. And we think about how Jesus taught. How did Jesus teach? Parables. Parables are what? Stories. Parables are stories. So what springs from what? I think it's a symbiotic. You just said the same thing. I do that a lot. I meant the opposite thing. <laughs> do do stories spring from culture or does culture spring from stories and media? There you go. The whole entire state of California, the name is based on a novel. Is it really? Yes, it is. I did not know that. Yep. What what novel? Do you know? Nope. California. It's that old. <laughs> but wow. it was a fictional place in a novel. Stories have cool. huge, huge ability to impact us, which is why we want to talk about this sometimes. Because, A, we're huge fans of story here. And we just think it's fun. And I think it's a lot of fun to be, uh, I think we can learn a ton of things from stories. And I think it's just a good time to spend. I, I think we can spend too much time in front of screens, right? I think we want to be getting out there in the fresh air, Joshua. I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's fun to enjoy stories with each other. I've been reading to my kids since they were very, very little. So when we come back uh, next time, we will not have a nerd out uh, podcast for a while. We'll probably wait a good four or five episodes before we do another one. And then we'll talk about TV shows, more about movies and uh, and probably some more books because we didn't even mention Patrick Rothfuss, who is my favorite. It is. He's my favorite favorite author, one of my favorite authors ever. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to An Open Letter. Again, my name's Dave, and we do want your feedback. We have been getting a a lot of good feedback from people. uh, Starting a little bit, we'd love to get more. We need to know how we're doing. We do have an email address, which is anopenletter to you at gmail.com, and that's anopenletter, the number two, the letter U, at gmail.com. We have a Twitter account and we also have a Facebook page. So if you could jump on one of those and just talk to us, be very helpful for us as we're trying to get this podcast up and running and hopefully something make it more and more something you'd enjoy. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Have a great day.